a mysterious fortress in the middle of the desert. Crows can't tell the difference between the living and the dead. And we take a quick look at some mysterious footage shot in the catacombs under Paris today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. Hope you guys are having a great day. I'm having a great day. It's really, really hot, but you know, I'm just staying hydrated, drinking a bunch of water. I used to hate drinking water. I I just couldn't, you know, I was... I don't know what it was. I know a lot of people complain that water has no taste, and it doesn't have a taste. It's funny because it, it technically has to have a taste, but maybe the taste particles are so spread out. It's like one taste particle per million or something like that. But yeah, I'm not a fan of water. But I've recently been drinking it a lot, and it is really good for you. <laughs> you guys are probably like, of course, it's good. It's good for you. But as an adult male who's gone most of his life without drinking water... It's, uh, I have to admit, it's pretty good for you. I don't sweat a lot. And I was telling that to someone the other day and they go, oh, oh, you're so special. I was like, no, I don't sweat because not because of anything special because I'm constantly dehydrated. I don't have enough liquid in my body to come out of my pores. My body's like a laptop with the fan not working. I think it's constantly overheating. So now that I've been drinking more water, I've been getting a little bit of sweat, a little bit of sweat going on, you know, on my forehead no cnc music factory level but it's a bit different it's a bit different for me i used to drink a gallon of kool-aid a day and when i in let me when i was 35 years old not when i was a young kid which i drank kool-aid back then but probably from about 35 to around 38 i drank a gallon of kool-aid a day I actually have a kool-aid man poster in my apartment, to, because I loved Kool-Aid so much. And then once I went to the doctor, and we were talking about weight loss, and I told him I drank a gallon of Kool-Aid a day, and he laughed, not just at that. And I kind of realized, I was like, that's kind of weird that he laughed at that. And he caught himself really quickly. After we talked and did the whole visit thing, I wasn't there for the weight loss, there was something else going on, but... We were, we were sitting there talking. He goes, hey, you know, I can tell you're kind of a funny guy. You can take a joke. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I was laughing about earlier. Now, at the time, my hair was real. My hair, I have, is I kind of have crazy hair if I don't do anything with it. If I, it's not, like, shaved down, it just kind of grows in every direction. And he goes, when you said you drank a gallon of Kool-Aid today, the reason I laughed was because you reminded me of the Hawaiian punch guy. <laughs> And I laughed because that was funny and it was pretty true. So, yeah, and it's, you know, it's always good to have a rapport with a doctor like that. He's not my regular doctor, unfortunately, but um, I think he's moved on. A lot of times the doctors at the little clinics end up getting better paying jobs at hospitals. So, So good for him. Good for him. I hope he keeps his sense of humor and I hope he runs into a lot of other patients with their sense of humor. Probably not because they're seeing them because they're really sick. So the first story we're going to cover tonight is recently made the news, but the study had been going on for maybe two years. So there was a case of, well, it's known in science that crows will often hold funerals for other crows. And they've always kind of wanted to understand the phenomenon. Now, crows are incredibly intelligent. They've done so many studies on crows where crows will remember you as an enemy for like up to two years. There was a guy... And I think it was even longer than that. There was this professor who was throwing rocks at crows for whatever reason, for science, I guess. 
And then the crows would attack him. And he ended up leaving, going to an... You know what's funny? I'm going to tell you the story, and I honestly probably can't back it up. I don't know if I can ever find this article again. But the scientist was throwing... I'm assuming he was a scientist. Was throwing rocks at crows on his college campus. He ended up getting a job in another college campus. He came back years later to visit some friends. He got attacked by crows. He'd gotten attacked by crows the whole time. He was working there, which made him want to throw more rocks. But even after he left... And came back. The crows remembered him and continued to attack him. They've done studies where people have been mean to crows. And then other people have had worn <laughs> worn masks of the person who was mean to crows. And the crows attacked them. Again, I'll see if I can find those links. To prove what I just said. I'll see if I can find that information. But if you don't see the links. Then you'll just have to take my word for that. But anyway, so... They have observed crows holding funerals, and one of the one of the hypotheses is that the crows aren't necessarily mourning the dead. What it is is they know that there's an enemy in the area, so they're trying to figure out what killed it. They're trying to do a little bird CSI for caw scene. <laughs> Anyways, there's there's. Anyways, so they try to figure out what killed it so they won't die themselves. So they don't necessarily know if it's like a funeral, like releasing the bird spirit to heaven. So um, this scientist got together with this film crew and she's like, oh, we're going to have this. I'm going to run this experiment. You guys can be there and you can record the birds having the funeral. So the camera crew gets there and they put out this fake. Well, it's a real bird, but it's dead and it's stuffed. They put it in the road, and another crow flies down, looks at it, and begins to hump it. Begins to try to dry hump it. And the scientist is like, uh, that is not what... That's not what they're supposed to do. So for two years, she was taking these stuffed crows and leaving them around the Pacific Northwest. I think it was in Portland, actually. Maybe Seattle. But anyways, and... Out of 4% of all the cases... She did this like 200 times or something like that. Out of 4% of these cases the bird had sex with the dead bird. And in one case, the dead bird was there, and then two birds came down and started banging each other in front of the dead bird. And what she, her hypothesis is that it tends to happen during mating season, and she goes, it's not because there's not enough mates to go around. She even saw one time that a bird's mate was in the area, and the bird still came and banged the dead body. So it's like cucking with a... Uh, dead bird which has to be the ultimate form of cuckoldry but she says that when they're in mating system their brains actually aren't working right because in some of the cases the birds would attack the corpse and in most of the cases the birds would go down and try to figure out what's going on so she thinks that when mating season comes around the birds the wiring is mixed up in their brain and so they don't know how to react they want to figure out the danger they want to attack it as a as a interloper into their area and they want to have sex with it like all things are coming together yeah so now it's part of crow science that four percent of these dead birds will get molested at some point and it just you know four percent is such a small percentage that it probably wasn't seen and if somebody did just see it you know a lay person would be like oh that bird's just kind of jumping around that other bird because birds don't have penises i guess they just like rub their vents against each other it was funny, too, because this uh, scientist, she got the cops called on her a couple times because all the people in the neighborhood would see is a woman go and set down a dead crow and then retreat to the bushes with a pair of binoculars. 
So people in the neighborhood were quite nervous of why she was doing all of this stuff. But I just thought that was an interesting story. It popped up. Oh, and the pun, obviously, is I didn't make this up. It was in. The scientist actually put this in her paper, which was great. Putting the crow in necrophilia. That's if if you if there's an if there's a Nobel Prize for great great scientific phrases, that's the one. That might have even actually been the name of her paper, honestly. The second story was an interesting one because I was researching something off the conspiracy list called Colgate Forts, and I actually found out what that was. We're gonna do another story on that. And it's the the Colgate Forts itself. Well, I'll just tell you right now, it's. Um, Russian soldiers went to Siberia and to they were like soldiers fleeing the purge, the purges, the Stalinist purges, and they actually made forts out of Colgate toothpaste to live in. And I, you're thinking, okay, well, that's the end of that story. The story actually gets more fascinating than that. But while I and we'll save that for another episode. But while I was researching Colgate forts, I came across just this mind-boggling, mind-bogglingly weird slash like it's like this weird mystery that not only doesn't have any answers but it seems like nobody wants any answers this is a real place you can find it on google earth it's a historical place it's called and i might be getting the pronunciation pronunci- pronunciation pronunciation wrong and it's called rannycott fort or rannycott r-a-n-n I'm not going to spell it for you. But anyways, so this is in Pakistan. So you're thinking, oh, you know, there's a fort in Pakistan. What does it have? Ghosts? Is it full of cryptids? No. It's known as, if not the largest fort ever constructed on the planet Earth. It's like in the second place. There's been some dispute over whether or not this one in Pakistan is bigger or one in India is bigger. And of course there's a dispute because they hate each other. But this fort... And using the fort is kind of a weird phrase because it's actually a 19-mile-long perimeter of, of these massive walls. And it goes up into this hill range, and it comes down. It's, it's on, people say it's, the, it's like the Great Wall of China. It's just this massive fortress in Pakistan. And so it's just sitting there in the desert. There's been a little bit of restoration work, but not recently. And it's free to visit. Here's the thing. No one knows when it was built. No one knows who built it. And no one knows why it was built. So you're going, oh, you know, okay, fine. Some Mesopotamians built some stone structure, you know, 10,000 years ago. Big whoop. You know, of course we're not going to know. This structure was built any time between the 9th and the 18th century. They don't know. And there, people are going, ah, it's probably built in the 17th century. 17th century, we have documents still from the 17th century. You're telling me one of the world, we're just going to call it the world's largest fort. The world's largest fort was built in the 1700s, and we don't know who it is. At first I thought, okay, we don't know who it is. It was probably some, like a Syrian warlord. No. And I know those groups aren't in Pakistan, but those are just the ones I know off the top of my head. And I can pronounce, because the names in these articles I can't pronounce. 1700s, they built a 19-mile-long fort, wide, perimeter fort, and nobody knows why, uh, who built it. No documents, no poems about it, no legends about it. It's simply there. They don't know who built it. 
There's theories ranging from this group I can't pronounce to that group I can't pronounce to Greeks to the... Here, I'll try to pronounce this one because this is the most recent one. The Talpers. Yeah, the other ones are... Okay, the Parthis, Parthenians. Yeah, I can't say most of these. But anyways, so most recent evidence says that it originated under the Talpers. It costs 1.2 million rupees to build. These are all things that they can estimate just from like the size of it. There's three little forts inside of it. And it was just this massive undertaking. It's in the middle of nowhere. People go, there's nothing defensive in that area that would require someone to build such a massive fort. It's not a strategic choke point. It's not a resource point. It's not near anything here nowadays. So why was it built? Why was it built? And if it was built so recently, how can we have no information? The one theory I could find was that the reason why we don't have much information on who built it, and, you know, it's just sitting there and it's been named like a World Heritage Site. Pakistani government's really not doing anything to keep it up. All the rest, last of the restoration happened in the 18th century. So even then they were still working on it, still fixing it up. There's still massive doors. It's amazing. But the theory is, is that the group that they believe built it or think built it is a different religion or a different royal dynasty from the current one. And they want the current one wants to seem like they're the greatest and they don't want to give any credence to other groups. And that's possible. I mean, people are petty like that. But I just think it's amazing that something could be built so recently that we have no information on if this thing had been hundreds and hundreds of years old, I could understand. We don't have any information. We come across that. Like, we'll find mounds in America. We'll find structures. And scientists are like, we don't really know who built it. We think it's some sort of burial mound, but we're not entirely for sure. It could be this tribe. It could be this tribe. But they didn't have any written records. This was far past the, this was far past the time where people are having written records. People have having printing presses. People have already, at this point, circumnavigated the globe. 17th, 18th century is far, far, far too recent to have no information on this thing. And the weird thing is, is no one's out there studying it. The articles I read said it seems relatively safe. There's not a lot of bandits in the area, but there's no police. But we have scientists going into the Middle East, going in, you know, in war zones that have just started to cool down to look at artifacts. And this place is just sitting there. Who knows what's there? Who knows what to find now? That being said, I have a theory. Why would you build a fortress in the middle of nowhere? Zombies. I have a theory, and it's I have nothing to back this up. But what if we had a zombie infestation in early human history? And I'm thinking like bubonic plague times, dark ages times. And this is kind of my, kind of my guess to that. In all over the world, when we look at royal soldiers, like the high-level soldiers, a lot of times they had padded armor. But in Europe, the soldiers were decked out in metal. The knights, the knights that we all know of. If you're fighting zombies, what do you want? Do you want padded armor that maybe they can bite through? Or do you want to be encased in steel? I don't know if it's actually steel, but do you want to be encased in metal? What if, hear me out, what if... The bubonic plague existed, but it was actually a zombie virus. That's what caused one-third of the world's population to decline. And the only thing you could do to stop it was to send knights out to just bash in infected peasants' heads. 
And the thing is, it's like any writings of that, of people dying of this horrible disease and coming back and, and moving throughout the civilization of Northern Europe and people fighting these things, all of that stuff would just be chalked up to religious superstition. They'd go, no, 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 no. That was just an actual plague and look under a microscope and this is what a bug looks like and blah, blah, blah. Maybe the bubonic plague... Because we still have the bubonic plague around. Again, I just realized that we actually know what the bubonic plague is because it's still an issue. And like, But anyway, so we don't have zombies that we know of. But what if that was the core reason why knights were encased in all metal? Now, as much as I love that theory, I do have to throw a little uh, salt on that fire. I don't know if that's a phrase. But, you know, the knights did exist long before the Black Plague came into town. But but I did find out that in 100 AD, 15 million people died in Europe, and they don't know why. They They think it's because of, like, global cooling or global warming and the crops all dying, but... Maybe it's zombies. So how does this play into Raincott Fort in the 17th century? Maybe there were zombies out in the middle of the desert. Maybe someone opened like a gin or a some sort of... I, gins don't exist in Pakistan, assuming they exist at all. But maybe there was some sort of unholy force that came out and they had to build this giant fort to fight them. Like that movie, The Great Wall, which nobody saw. I don't think anybody saw that movie, but I think it's an interesting story. And honestly, that theory, okay, they built that fort to fight zombies or to some sort of supernatural force. That theory is just as valid as any other one because, actually, okay, it's not as valid as any other one. But it's the only theory put forward. Most people are like, yeah, we don't know why it was built. And I've read multiple articles on this, and it's frustrating because it's a mystery I think could be solved. They could go out there and, and say, oh, this guy thought the land was holy and built this fort, or this land actually was some sort of strategic choke point at that time. But there's just nothing. There's no investigation into this fort at all. That's what makes it such a huge mystery. You know, we cover a lot of stuff on this show that just can get easily debunked, but I can't find anything for why this fort exists. Or really anything to say why people aren't researching it. It's just stuff's coming up and they're like, yeah, scientists aren't really interested. Why not? archaeologists, um, other people who study old stuff. So look that up. Look up Rannycott Fort. And if you're an archaeologist and you're looking for a thesis subject, maybe you just found one. We're going to wrap this up really quickly. You guys may have seen this before. This video originally got deleted and now it's back up. It's super bizarre on a couple different levels, but it's fairly short, so I'm going to keep this part short. There's a video of a man um, in the lost ca in the catacombs of France. So underneath, they had such a oh my god, they had such a problem with people dying in France that they had so many bodies they had to put them in caverns. What if that was the victims of the zombie plague? Bam, wrap around. Anyways, they had such a problem with all these dead bodies they didn't know where to put them. They put them in all these catacombs underneath Paris. And so this guy is on a video camera and he's walking through the catacombs. And this footage was broadcast on ABC Family, of all things. So here, let's play a quick audio clip of the Paris catacombs thing. You, I mean, obviously, you're going to want to watch the video to get the full effect, but I'll just play a little clip of it here. We hear his breathing get louder and louder, uh, as though something was scaring him. He was, he's, he's frightened, he's frightened. Occasionally he stops, perhaps, to try to decide which way to run among all the many different corridors. He's running faster and faster and faster, deeper and deeper into the catacombs. And all of a sudden... Okay. 
so I just wanted to include that because it, I think it's just such a creepy video. And people have said, oh, you know, it's fake and blah, blah, blah. But, I, you know, I, and it may be. I mean, the guy's definitely in some sort of tunnel system. People are like, well, if a monster was chasing him, why don't we see the monster on film? And I'm like, well, maybe it's not a monster. Maybe it's a ghost or maybe it's something crawling on the ceiling. Or maybe it's fake or maybe... He was just having an anxiety attack. I mean, those are probably the two most likely ones because he's underground and there's a bunch of dead bodies around him. But I think it's an interesting video. I hope you guys check it out. I remember seeing it years ago and thinking it was creepy. And then I had to find it again because now that I'm doing this podcast, there's a couple of stories and stuff that I remember coming across early on, um, you know, years and years ago. Then I'm like, oh, that would be cool to put on the podcast. A video is probably not the best thing to put on a podcast, but this one has some pretty cool audio too. I think you can kind of get the gist for it, but check it out yourself as well. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is our email address. You can always hit me up there. Contact me. Let me know if you have any story suggestions. We have a lot of cool ones, but I'm always looking for more. I just love researching stuff and reading about it. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. My Facebook is facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. You can hit us up on there as well. You'll get the links to the newest episodes. And, you know, we always post on YouTube as well under Dead Rabbit Radio. A lot of times we take clips out of the shows. All of those venues are places you can get the podcast. If you're listening to it on any sort of podcast service like iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to leave us a review, too. That really helps. And also, share this podcast with your friends if you have a good time, if you have a laugh, if you learn something. Share it with your friends. That's how we keep the show going. This is a daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. We're going to be back tomorrow with some other great stories, and I hope you tune in. Have a great day.